we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Well, good morning, Joliet First. It's good to see each of your smiling faces today. Glad that you're with us. Um, as Debbie noted beforehand, and I just want to point this out, I would love for you all to join us every Wednesday, except for this one, because we have our uh, church planning meeting here at uh, prayer 6 o'clock. And then 6.30 the meeting this Wednesday here. But every Wednesday uh, leading up to the launch, we are meeting at the new church, uh, 1451 Black Road, the Table Church, uh, for prayer at 6.30. And I have said this over and over and over again. We will not be a growing church unless we are a praying church. That we cannot harness the power of God unless we are in prayer. And so I'm inviting you. It's amazing when you invite people to pray, uh, nobody shows up. Um, except a faithful few. And so I would invite, other than just the three or four that are coming now, I would love for you to be there and experience something that's powerful. Um, you talk about the presence and spirit of God moving in the hearts and lives of people. I would invite, if you want to do something amazing for God, literally just show up at 6.30 every Wednesday and be part of what we're doing. So I'd love to have you there. Uh, this morning we're starting a new series, which I'm excited about, uh, called The Table. And there's a reason why we're doing that. Many of you know that this is the new name of our church. We are planting a new church in late September called The Table. And so I wanted to take the next four weeks to talk about why we chose that name. I know that some of you were here for the reveal of that name. Some of you weren't there when we revealed that name on a Sunday night. And so you may be asking, why The Table? Uh, why is that so important? In fact, when people ask me, what do you name in your church? I said The Table. They're like, oh, okay. You know, like, that's it. And I get that, but we're going to talk about why we chose this name, why we're heading this direction, and over the next four weeks, I just hope that you would fall in love with it like we have. And so we're excited about it. Would you pray with me before we begin this morning? Lord, we give the next few moments to you. I pray that you would give me clarity as I preach, that your words would be real to us, they would impact our lives, and ultimately change how we live. We submit this, uh, this message, this time of learning to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been nine years that I've been in ministry now. I know it doesn't feel like that. I was in the military uh, long before that. And so I went from military life to ministry life. And that was a huge transition because you don't deal with people in ministry the way you do when you're in the military. Uh, I learned that quickly. Uh, you know, when I became a youth pastor, I found out quickly you don't treat students like they're your soldiers. Um, so it was a tough lesson to learn. But for nine years I've been doing this. And there's this same recurring question that I get over and over and over again wherever I go. In fact, when I was interviewing... In Topeka, Kansas for a youth pastor position, I remember somebody pulled me aside and they said to me, they said, dude, why in the world would you want to come to Topeka? I mean, like out of all the places that you could go and all the places that you could work and everything that you could possibly do, why would you choose to come here? Why do you, why would you want to end up here? And that really is kind of the question that I get posed everywhere I go. Well, when I went to Indiana, Southern, why would you come to Southern Indiana? When I went to Topeka, why would you come to Topeka? People that don't go to our church, when I come to, why would you come to Joliet? People ask me, why would you come to Joliet? And, you know, so for a minute, often I will set God aside. I'll take God out of the plan and I'll just say, that's a great question. How did I end up here? I mean, 
if I could do anything, work anywhere, go anywhere, uh, why not move out west where there's mountains and snowboarding and backpacking? And, we, you know, you could have a lot of fun in nature instead of being, you know, in your house all winter long and depressed here in Chicago. I mean, there's a lot of things that I would love to do. And if you were to ask me if I would have thought I would have ended up here, the answer is no. I had no clue that I would be where I am today. And my guess is that's your experience in life as well. Some of you, if I were to sit down with you, say, I never knew that I was going to end up where I am today. In fact, if I were to meet you at the age of five, which, you know, for some of you, I wouldn't have been born by then. But if I were to sit down with you at the age of five, and I would have asked you, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to do with your life? At five, you would have said things like, I want to be a professional baseball player. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a physicist. I want to be a scientist. I want to be an engineer. You know, big dreams. And then if I were to sit down with you 10, 15 years later when you're in high school, hopefully you're not in high school 15 years later, but if I were to sit down with you in high school, I'd say, what do you want to do with your life? My guess is you would have forgotten the astronaut, the physicist, and everything else, and you'd say things like, well, I want to go to college. And I want to work after I get out of school. I want to go to a trade school. You know, education's not for me. I just want to have a job and I want to do something that's meaningful. Some of you would have said, like me at 15, I don't know. There's life after high school? I didn't know that. I thought this is where it, it, life was always like high school. Parties, fun, good time. Yeah, I don't know what I want to do with my life. But if I were to sit down with you after 5 and then 15 and then maybe 10 or 15 years later and you're 30 and I'd say, did you ever dream that you'd end up where you are today? You'd say, I had no clue that I'd be a mom or dad. I didn't know that was going to be the most important role in my life. I wanted to be an astronaut. Now I'm a mom. You know, if, if I were to ask you did, you, did you dream about working where you're working? No, I had no clue I was going to work for this company or have this job. Some of you might say, I had no clue that at this age I was going to have the health conditions that I have. In fact, I didn't anticipate this and I didn't plan or intend to be here. And so I say all that to say that this is kind of how we stumbled along the idea of the table. That if you were to ask me that the table, church, the table would be the name of our church moving forward, I would have told you there's no way, not a chance, don't believe it, not going to happen, wouldn't tell you that's where we would have ended up. But it's so interesting, after we sold the property on a Friday, I remember sitting down Saturday morning with my wife, and I'm sitting at our kitchen table, and I said, hey, can you, be can you believe this? Like, we get to start over. We get to do something new. And of course, people are already asking me, well, what are you going to name the church? And of course, I didn't know at the time. And I said, what are we going to name it? And I asked her, what are we going to name it? So that Monday morning, I went in because I had no clue, and I sat down with our staff, and I said, hey, big question, what are we going to name the church now that we are starting over? And um, they looked at me, and they didn't have an answer either. And of course, we always thought it was going to be the edge. For three years, we were building it up, thinking, hey, it could be the edge. And, you know, back in Leviticus 11 or 22, it says, leave the edges of the field for the widow, the poor, the, or you know this. We kind of would share this with you, and we want to be the edge. But as I would sit down with people, and I'd say, hey, I think we're going to name the church The Edge. They'd say, y'all trying to be edgy? No, not, it's not really our goal. Well, I remember in Chicago, there was a nightclub called The Edge. Y'all want to be a Chicago nightclub? While it may be fun, probably not. 
I remember somebody else saying, hey, we're thinking about the edge. And they said, yeah, I remember then there was a church plant in New Lenox called the edge. And that didn't go very well. And they weren't well known. And they didn't have a great reputation in the community. So immediately we were like, okay, there's a lot of factors. We're not getting a lot of positive feedback about this. And so um, we started to think about other things. So we, went, we had all the names lined up. At one point, we were going to be Corner City Church. And somebody's like, hey, connect the dots for me. Well, it's next to Six Corners. The opening of the church is on the corner. It's on the corner. We said, hey, let's just join Jesus in every corner of the city. Sounded pretty cool. We talked about being Center City Church because we're in the center of the city. Anything with city in it, we thought we were going to do it. At one point, I said, hey, let's just call it church. Somebody said, you can't have a name without the name. Well, let's just call it church. Like, after all the articles I read and people making fun of all the different names and you get categorized, it's, let's just call it church. Hey, welcome to our church. I thought it was original. Nobody else thought so. And then, of course, we had every Christian name, you know, Jesus, Hope, Christian Resurrection, Community Christian Church of the Nazarene, whatever you want. Like, we had it all strung together, and it was just like, hey, this isn't working. And what I found in this process is that I would give out names to people, or other people would put out names, and what I learned is that when you don't know, you just say no. It's pretty funny. I, I would say, how about this name? Nope, I don't like that. How about this one? No, I don't like that. You know, and months after months of talking to Janelle about what are we going to name this thing? What's, you know, she's like, would you just shut up? I'm tired of talking about church names. Can we just go on this date without you thinking about that? And it was funny. I'd ask people, well, what do you want to name it? And they're like, I don't know. But I know I don't like that one. And so I was really, you know, I was frustrated because, you know, our coach is telling us, hey, you got you to have a name. You got to have it ready. You, you got to start, you know, going. You got to cast vision. You've got to get moving. I mean, your timetables, today was to be the day that we were supposed to launch this church, believe it or not. If we would have closed in January, we'd be launching today. And so I'm freaking out. And so I remember I was praying day after day after day about this. And I remember the reading for the day as I sat at my table and I opened it up, and I had a vision meeting that night, and I'm like, I have no clue what we're going to talk about, how we're going to do this. And I opened to this story, and I read it. And as I read it, there was this sense of, this is it. And I thought, there's no way that this is where we would land. I don't, I'm not sure about this. And so that night, I went and I shared the story that I'm about to share with you this morning to our vision team. We shared it with our staff. We shared it with our board. And everybody's like, yeah, let's do it. I mean, there's like no question about it. Like, yeah, the table, that's great. Let's do it. And so this morning, my goal is to share that story with you. And I'm hoping that in sharing this with you, you will catch the vision, the mission, the passion that comes along with it. That as I sat there and I prayed to God and I asked him to give me clarity and vision about what we need to name, not our church, but his church, this story was just staring at me. And as I read it and I prayed through it, this is where we landed. And so this morning, I want to share with you uh, the story uh, from Luke. And if you're not familiar with Luke, I know some of you are. Luke is one of the writers of many writers. See, we think the Bible is a book. If somebody refers to the Bible as a book, it is not a book. It is a collection of poems, documents, narratives. Uh, it's a collection of stories throughout history. And what I love about the Bible is not that it's just one author, but rather it's a collection of authors who tell their experience and their encounter with God. And so Luke is one of those guys who had an interesting experience. He necessarily wasn't a follower of Jesus to begin with. In fact, he had lots of questions. If you have questions about God, if Jesus exists, if this whole thing is real, so did he. That's where he started. 
And so Luke quit his practice as a doctor and he sets out and he begins to talk with people and he sits around dinner tables and has conversations and he's asking and he's inquisitive and he's taking notes. And over time, he forms one of the longest but most detailed accounts of Jesus's life we get because he wasn't certain that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. And he wasn't sure that Jesus actually was the savior of the world. And so it's interesting because you may not know this, but in Luke's account, there's something unique about his account from any other account. As you begin to open up the pages and scroll through everything that he has documented for us, page after page after page, story after story after story, we find that Jesus' life, his ministry centered around one thing. In fact, the reason why I think Luke includes this in his story is because this is how he discovered Jesus. The moment that he said yes to Jesus, it was because he spent so much time sitting around this one little centerpiece that was the focal point for conversations with Jesus about Jesus, and as we'll find out in about a few weeks, meeting Jesus. And as we turn the pages, we find that at the center was the table. In fact, there's this old theology joke. I know it's pretty boring, but welcome to theology humor. Uh, when we're in class, we'd say, you can't get throughout the book of Luke without Jesus eating a meal. Ha, 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 ha. Obviously not very funny. But that was the whole point, that in the book of Luke, every page that you turn to, we find Jesus eating dinner with people. And this is the story that we have today. So here's what he says. Here's what he tells us. After this, he went out and he saw a man named Levi at his work. And he was collecting taxes. Jesus said to him, come along with me. Now, y'all need to wake up for a minute and say it with me now. Come along with me. One more time. Come along with me. And this is important. And he did. He walked away from what? Everything. Jesus said to him, come along with me. And Levi did. He walked away from everything. I want you to circle that word. And I want you to circle the phrase, come along with me, because that is so important. He walked away from everything and went with Jesus. Now, i got to ask you a question. Have you ever in your life left something that was difficult? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Some of you have lived for a moment. A few of you have lived for a moment. I remember standing in front of my family and my fiancé stepping onto a plane that was going to take me to a war that I didn't know that I may or may not come back from. You talk about leaving things that are comfortable when you're staring at your family and you're wondering if this is the last time that you're going to see them. It is difficult to leave those relationships behind. In fact, I remember flying all the way over to the Middle East. I didn't have a drink. I didn't have a sip. I didn't have a, 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 a meal the whole time. I was just so sick to my stomach. I couldn't eat or drink anything. And maybe you've had that experience in life as well. Right? Some of you, you can remember back to high school when you had this boyfriend or girlfriend and you had a great relationship, but at the end you were going to different colleges and it was like, hey, our paths aren't going to cross. This just isn't going to work out. Even though we love each other, we're going to have to leave everything that we've built together and just go our own separate ways. Maybe you've had that experience. Right? Maybe you have gone to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, you need to lose some weight and you need to maybe get healthy or you need to change up your diet. And you're like, I know I need to change up my diet. I know I need to get healthy. But come on, tell me how hard it is to leave a diet that you're currently on. 
I mean, the best diet plan is the one you enjoy. I love at night when I'm sitting down after a long day. I just love cereal. I know it's not good for you. I know it's not, you know, healthy for you. And I love the cereal that's not good for you. And I'll just eat one, two, three, the whole box, whatever you want. You know, maybe you had that experience as well. But your doctor tells you, hey, you got to leave your diet. And you're like, I want to. I know we should, but it's just hard to leave everything that you've known. Maybe you've had a promotion or a job that was given to you and you had to leave family, friends, and relationships and go somewhere else. And it was difficult. Well, this is what Levi is experiencing. You know, over time, when I've been in the church, people say, I'm so amazed at Levi and how he just left everything. And he was so obedient. And he was so excited. And he just couldn't wait to follow Jesus. Do you ever think that it was difficult for him? I've never heard anybody ask this question, but I think it was hard for Levi. Even though he did it. He was sitting there thinking, I don't want to do this. This is hard for me to go. I'm not really sure I should. It was hard for him to leave everything. And here's the reason why. It is hard to leave things that are familiar. I find it interesting that the word familiar is close to family. You know, that's why some of us continue to live with our parents for the rest of our lives. is because it's familiar. It's comfortable. But what Jesus is inviting him to is something different. See, he understands that over time, familiarity breeds an inability to move forward. And I would say this, that sometimes when we live in the familiar, it gives us a false sense of security. I would say that oftentimes when we live in the familiar, it keeps us from stepping forward into the future that God has for us. And he said, come along, come along, I want you to go. But we can't leave everything because that's the only thing that we know. We love pattern. We love repetition. We love the way our life is. And sometimes you don't know it. You're living, but you're not living the fullest life that you've been called to live. And Jesus says, hey, I know it's hard, but you have to leave the familiar to move forward. Come along with me. And as I read this statement, come along with me, or in the NIV it says, follow me. That became the catalyst for our mission statement. That became the catalyst for why we're doing what we're doing. So here we go. If you don't know what the mission of the table is going to be, let me share with you this morning our mission statement. This is why we exist. To guide people into a, say it with me now, forward-moving relationship with Jesus. To guide people into a forward-moving relationship. You can leave it up there for a while because I want people to get it. I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want there to be a lack of clarity about what our mission is. And so at first glance, it's like, yeah, that's pretty simple. We're supposed to lead people to Jesus. And it was interesting because the other day I was having a conversation with somebody and they said, you know, that whole forward movement thing, I really hate that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why you chose those words, but I, don't really, I just really hate the forward. Maybe it's because you took a big old sign and you put it over my missions board. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. But I said, uh, have you ever heard why we chose those words? And so I went on to explain it. And of course, at the end, they're like, I wish you just would have said that up front. And I'm like, well, you know, we did. But, you know, maybe not as clear. So let me be clear today. The reason why we chose to guide people into a forward-moving relationship is that it is possible to consider yourself a follower of Jesus and not be following Jesus. It is possible 
for you to consider yourself a follower of God and not be following God. In fact, I think that oftentimes we get so used to the familiar that it becomes God in itself. Here's my point. Whether you're 4 or 40, all of us are required to move 40. And I think what happens in the church is we say yes to God for the first time and we want to have a relationship with Him. So we start doing all the things that lead to a relationship with Him. We go to church, we pray, we read our Bible, we do all these things. And over time, the things that lead us to a relationship with God become God in themselves. Does that make sense? That at the end of the day, when we remove those things, we find out how big of a God they actually are. And so I, I was left with this question. The other day I was standing, sitting with somebody, we were having lunch, and I said, you know, I wonder if we were to remove everything, your church, your community, your Bible, your worship time, your family, your kids, if we were to remove everything in your life, if you were to leave everything that you know, the question I want to pose to you is this. Is Jesus enough? Think about that. If you had to leave everything and you had nothing left, if everything familiar to you was taken away, would Jesus be enough for you to say, I'm ready to move forward? Because I'm convinced through this experience that there are many gods that we have that keep us from moving forward with the true one God named Jesus Christ. And so the reason why we chose this language is because it encompasses everybody. Not just the newbie, not just the, my kids call them noobs, you know, I don't, you know, it's just goober heads. Dad, he's a noob. It's just not, it's not just for noobs, but it's for everybody. Everybody should be moving forward. And so Luke continues to capture this idea. Listen to what he says in the story. It's great. He says, Levi gave, check it out, a large dinner. Now, I need you to use your imagination. See, sometimes you may think the Bible is boring. The Bible is not boring. It's only boring because you don't use your imagination when you read it. Don't read it for face value. Enter into the story. It says, Levi gave a large dinner. So at the center of this dinner, I don't, you know, I don't know what it looks like, but for me, it is this elegant giant table that is covered in some of the most fine china with candles and lots of delicious food like steak and I don't know if they ate steak maybe lamb whatever they ate back then but it's covered with delicate desserts and I mean I'm you know it's beautiful but at the center of it is the table Levi invites Jesus into his house they gather around the table and notice what it says Everybody was there. Everybody was there, and he continues. Taxmen and other, this is my favorite, other disreputable characters were guests at the dinner. But you remember this. He says everybody was there. And so the Pharisees, it's not just the new people. It's not just the disreputable characters. It's not just the people whose lives are messed up. He says, the Pharisees and the religious scholars, everybody was there. They came to his disciples. Notice they don't go to Jesus. Why in the world would we go to the person we have a problem with? Duh. So they go to the disciples. They're greatly offended. And they say, what is he doing? Eating 
and drinking with crooks and sinners. Have you ever been to the doctor for a problem? Only for them to solve that problem and you find yourself back there a week later with another problem? Some of you are shaking your head. I've personally had this experience once in my life, and you probably have too, but you go to the doctor, and of course I have white coat syndrome, and they put the cuff on you, and they're like, wow, your blood pressure is a little high today. And you're like, well, you know, I'm probably not like that all the time. And so then they come in, and they talk to you about stress and food management and getting healthy and working out, and, and then they prescribe you medication. And so you're, you know, you don't ask questions. This will help you. This will make you feel better. And so you go down to the local pharmacy. They give you the prescription. It comes with a giant leaflet on the front that's about 400 pages long that basically tells you death is imminent if you don't pay attention to it. And you just tear it off like me. You don't read that. And they even ask you. They're so, they're so polite. Hey, at Walgreens, they say, do you have any questions? You're like, nope, I got it. Doctor told me what to do. Take one a day, whatever it is. Open it up. Take a pill, and next thing you know, your blood pressure starts to lower, but in a way that you start to feel like you're going to pass out. You ever been standing in line at Walmart, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm feeling a little dizzy here, and you feel a little faint, and you feel like you could pass out. Well, there's the problem. In healing your blood pressure, you have another issue. When Janelle had her second ACL, she's on her third, by the way. Hopefully that's third time's a charm. She's on her second ACL. When she was on her second ACL, they did the surgery. And the next day I went in and her knee was all hot and pink. And it had boils all over the, you know, where they cut in. And it was disgusting. I mean, really gross. I'll spare you the details. But there's a word for this. When you go to the physician or there's a word for this. It's a medical term called itrogenic. Itro, or itros meaning physician, and genic, genic meaning origin. So it's interesting that this word kind of describes that uh, when a physician heals, it's when a physician heals one thing, but causes a disease in another area. So they're healing one thing, you're, you're being saved in one area, but in the next area you become diseased. And so I have a great mentor who, who asked this question. He says, um, I just wonder if the Medical establishment is making Americans unhealthy. I wonder if Christians are making the church unhealthy. And so he said, think about it with me. We, we have people who are new to the faith and they want to know God and they say yes to him and they get baptized and they start devoting their lives to God. And over time, this phenomenon starts to take place. And so he comes up with his own medical term in the religious sense, and it's called usabogenic. Usabia meaning devout, or somebody who is a follower. The way he would describe it, usabia would be um, somebody who is aligned with God, who's obedient to God, who's doing everything that God would ask. And how we would describe them is they're righteous. But in being saved, in becoming righteous. Over time, without even knowing it, we become diseased. And it's called self-righteousness. And he says that as we enter into the church and we enter into this journey with God, self-righteousness sets in. And all self-righteousness is, is a denial of your lostness. Self-righteousness is a denial of your brokenness. 
Now, it's interesting, I missed this part, but it's interesting that in Luke's account, he says that the Pharisees, check this out, belonged to their sect. The disciples, the disreputable characters, Wait, what sect do they belong to? This is the question I was asking as I read the text, and then it dawned on me. The answer is yes. This is the whole point that Luke is making and that, that Jesus is making in this conversation that's taking place as the Pharisees are disgruntled and upset is that Jesus wants to say, yes, everybody's unhealthy. That's the reason why you were invited in the first place. That all of us, whether you're here for four minutes or 40 years, you are unhealthy. We all belong together because we are all in the same boat. Y'all with me on this? That you are no better than the person who just walks in off the street. And they're no better than you are. And so Jesus addresses the disease that has slowly taken shape over the course of humanity. And here's what he says. They're sitting at a table, remind you, a giant gathering where everyone was welcome. Jesus heard about it and he spoke up. He says, and you know, this is a famous line. And if you don't, this is a great line. Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. What he was saying at this moment was, if you're here you're an outsider. If you're present, if you're sitting at the table, you're an outsider. If you're here, you're unhealthy. He says, it's an invitation to a changed life. Changed, say it with me now, inside and out. Changed inside and out. You see, what I find interesting is when you think about this, when you invite disreputable characters to your dinner, we want to change their outside first. We want to change their outward appearance. When people come in off the street, we want to say, here's what's wrong with you. We want to change the outward appearance. But Jesus includes us as well because he says the only reason you can recognize that on the outside is because that's what's going on on you on the inside. That the issue that they face and wrestle with on the outside is the issue that you wrestle with on the inside. You belong just as much as they do. And so here's what I want you to know. We're all broken. And this is why this story spoke to me so much when I read it, is that as we gather around the table, I get a picture of unhealthy people, and that includes everybody. I'm unhealthy. You're unhealthy. This community's unhealthy. But we want to be, here's what I want you to know today. We want the table to be a place where people come to get healthy. We want the table, the table, and this isn't just made up. I'm not just, you know, putting my point of view into scripture. Jesus himself is sitting at a banquet, a dinner table where everybody is welcome. And he says, hey, I'm inviting you to get healthy. And it's only when we say yes to moving forward with him that we become healthy. Are you moving forward with Jesus? Are, are, are you, do you sense that there's something more in your life 
Because if you're saying, I'm not being fed or I don't feel like I'm moving spiritually forward, that's on you. Because at the end of the day, if all of it's removed, I'm not here, this church isn't here, you don't have that Bible in front of you, it doesn't matter. It's about you and him. And so I was thinking about this, that we need to get healthy. Because when we get healthy, we step into something more for our lives. I was telling these students that I was speaking to a few weeks ago, it's like, hey, when I get up every day, I feel like there's something more. I can't define it. I can't put it in a box. And by the way, if you can put it in a box, it's probably not from God to begin with. I can't define it. I don't know what it looks like. I just know that there's something more that God has for me. And I just want to be a part of whatever that is. And we think that when people get healthy, they say, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what the plans are. I don't know how we're going to get there. I just know that there's something more and I want to be part of it. Step into the more that you were made for. But I got to be honest, we're kind of in this weird transition. I mean, it's just awkward. We were supposed to plant today and now we're not launching until September. And so we have this odd thing. We're like, we're jolly at first, but we're going to be the table and we're still trying to figure it out. And, you know, everybody's like, I wish we were there now. I don't. Now, let me just be honest for a minute. I think God is doing us a favor, and I think God is doing the community of Joliet a favor. Because we're unhealthy. And I'll take ownership for that. I was sitting with somebody the other day. He said, what I love about your church is that you want to have influence in the community. You want to change lives. You want to be connected. You want to help homeless people. You want to do all these things. And I said, yeah, but I, I, we did it wrong. I did it wrong. See, I, I came in and I said, let's work from the outside in. That if we could go out and do all these things out here, it will somehow transform us into the image of Christ. And I was totally backwards in that concept and that idea that really we have to be changed inside, as Jesus says, changed inside to move out, to go forward and to reach people. And so I'll own that. That's my fault. That's my fault, church. But what I realized over time is that unhealthy people can't help unhealthy people get healthy. Like we're so busy focused on helping unhealthy people and yet we're not even in a position to be helping them. And so I'm thankful that God has given us a period of time over the next six months, seven months, because let's just be honest, we need to get healthy. We just need to be healthy. And I want a bunch of leaders that move with us to the table where we're gathering around, everybody's gathering around, and we can guide them, guide them in a healthy way to a moving relationship with Jesus. You can't do that until you're healthy. And so I, I wanna give you a practice for the week. Some of, if you wanna be spiritually fed, the best way to do that is to practice the very things we talk about. And so every week we try to leave you with something to do. So here it, here it is, you ready? I want you to do the one thing that we've been talking about. A few weeks ago, we talked about the one thing. Jesus says, not everything, leave everything. And I want you just to sit at my feet. And we said, hey, for 15 minutes, we just want you to sit at Jesus' feet in silence. Not, don't say a thing, just listen to what God is saying to you. I know you guys are amazing and you're practicing that and you're doing that. And so I wanna introduce something new this week with it. 
And part of that is remembering our lostness. Remembering your brokenness. So for the first five minutes of the 15 minutes that you sit with God, I want you to confess the very things that you don't even acknowledge you need grace for. You with me on this? So you're saying, what's that look like? Here's what it would look like in my life. If I were to sit down with God today, and I've done this, I would say, a lot of times I'm not empathetic, but rather I'm filled with apathy. I don't really care what you think. I really don't care how you feel. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what's going on in your life. I'm not really overly concerned. And I find that over time, if I'm just confessing to you this morning and acknowledging my brokenness, a lot of times I'm not empathetic. I'm really just apathetic. If I'm honest with you, I would say that a lot of times in my life, my life is not filled with joy. In fact, often it feels more like hell. And when I come home, when I come home, it's funny, I wrote in my, my journal, choose joy. Let joy be the journey of your life. And, and I come home and I think, really, is that your journey? Because what I do is I come home and I just complain about people who, who make my life miserable and are complaining about this and talking about that. And, and what I find is that over time, it's really unhealthy for my family. It's unhealthy for my wife. It's unhealthy for my kids. And instead of choosing joy, I just choose to be bitter and angry. And it's kind of frustrating. I admit that I'm impatient and I wish at times you'd be impatient with me and you just would hurry up. <laughs> Some of you got that. But what I recognize is that it's when I sit at the table that I recognize my need for God's grace. I'm human. There are days I think, I tell God, there's no reason why I should be standing here in front of you. And so I just want you to know I'm with you in this. But this week when you sit with Jesus, I want you to spend the first five minutes talking about the very things that are making you unhealthy. Some of us can't forgive. Some of us are just as bitter as I am. Some of us are angry. Some of us hold on to old grudges and pains and hurts. And some of us really just are grumpy. I don't know how else to say it. Some of us are just grumpy. We just hate life. And it's okay to admit that. So I would say spend the first five minutes this week acknowledging that before God. And then watch what happens. Because my guess is he will show up. And you have this overwhelming sense of God's presence. Of God calling you to say, okay, let's put that behind you now. And let's move forward. Come along with me. And so I extend that invitation to you to get healthy because the table is a place for people to get